everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, now part of the Wide Angle Podium Network. And you can find out more about that over at WideAnglePodium.com. I'm your host, Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. On this week's episode, we have naturopath Leah Sonnenberg, uh, who works out of Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, she is both an athlete herself and works with a lot of athletes. Collingwood is a very sporty town, so I'd say probably most of her clientele is actually an athletic population. Uh, this week, we're chatting about female hormone health for athletes, um, but Leah has also worked with Peter in the past and has worked with me. So, Peter, let's talk first for a second here about sort of what you've learned from working with her. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think this podcast uh, this week is going to be good because a lot of people don't have a lot of exposure to naturopathic medicine and naturopaths. A, a lot of clients, when I recommend they go see Leo or other naturopaths in their area, will ask what naturopathy is. So um, just even getting an idea of that makes this podcast worth listening to this week. Um, to your question, I always have struggled with digestion for whatever reason. You could just chalk that up to my type A, do five different jobs at once, and then also try and race mountain bikes at a moderately good level. Um, but yeah, so Leah's helped me a lot with that. And that's looked, you know, that's been testing. That's been some Western medicine type stuff. That's been some herbs. That's been some kooky fasting stuff. That's, you know, it's run the full gamut. And Leah's really awesome because she looks at all the options, you know, ranging from that Western medicine all the way over to your Eastern medicine, you know, kookier stuff, as I like to call it. Um, but honestly, she's just a, she's really good. And a lot of naturopaths are really good about looking at that, you know, talking over stuff and, and really looking at, what changes you're willing to make and, you know, sort of the mental process as well as the, you know, because that's so tied to the physiological process. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the important things worth mentioning before we get into it is if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, oh, I don't really have any hormone issues, so I'm just going to skip this week. I would actually recommend listening to it because we talk a lot about some of the early warning signs about hormone health. And I think, and Peter, you can probably agree with me on this, it's a lot easier to solve a problem if you can just avoid having the problem in the first place. So if you can catch, you know, a hormone issue before it starts or right at the beginning, it's a lot easier than being three years in and having a whole lot of damage to come back from. So I think it's, it's certainly worth listening to whether you, you think your hormones are off or not. Yeah, it's always worth seeing how people get off track or make mistakes, so then you can try and you know, isolate when you're not sleeping well or feeling really stressed or, you know, whatever, feeling, having some sort of abnormal symptom that might seem like, you know, you can just have another coffee, but four months later when you're having five extra coffees, you know, you can maybe isolate that there's some other stuff going on. Absolutely. And before we get into the podcast with Leah, uh, we just kind of wanted to talk about a couple of the other programs on the Wide Angle Podium Network, which is a really cool podcast network that we're pretty psyched to be part of. Yeah, I would recommend your first exposure to the Wide Angle Podium uh, is with the Crosshairs Radio. Um, they do a lot of really cool stuff around cyclocross. Um, so if you are into cyclocross or want to get more knowledgeable about it or hear what's going on for this upcoming season, um, host Bill Shaken, and I am apologizing, Molly can maybe help me with pronunciation, um, is very much involved in cyclocross. They, he literally wrote a book about cyclocross skills, drills, and belly aches. Um, 
so it's a weekly podcast and it's it's a leading outlet for all things cyclocross we got interviews and lots of big names in that cyclocross series uh, yeah, and I, I'm waving at Peter because I will also add that if you're interested in that, uh, we're actually going to be having a bonus episode coming out for Wide Angle Podium supporters that's going to talk to Jeff Proctor, who is one of the USA Cycling developmental coaches, about sort of how he selects the top junior cyclocrossers and how he works with them during the season. So if you are a cyclocross nerd, uh, definitely check out the site and you know, kind of get involved. And then the other one I know a lot of clients enjoy who want a bit more cycling content than what we offer here with our multi-sport consummate athlete angle um, is the Slow Ride podcast. It's uh, been running for three years now, um, and it's it's one of the, I think, one of the better cycling podcasts out there. Um, they talk about racing, gossip, um, it's newscast, there's comedy. Um, there's something in there for everyone, whether you're a beginner or an expert. Um, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. Um, that's the Slow Ride Podcast. Awesome. All right. But before you check those out, uh, give ours a listen. So without further ado, here is our podcast with Leah Sonnenberg. Let's, let's talk female athletes and hormone health, bike stuff. So yeah, first, first question, chief complaints that you run into with female athletes. I find in general athletes don't like to complain. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so sometimes they're in here because they have to complain, but sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, I'm fine, everything's good. And then the more we question, we'll find things are going on. But most often, they're if they are coming in with a complaint, it's because something's changed. Right. And they want to figure out why it's changed. They just maybe aren't feeling the same amount of energy. Don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. Their performance maybe isn't what it used to, or their recovery is longer. So that's often what I'm seeing, and maybe feeling a little bit moody from time to time, and not feeling like themselves, and they just feel like their body isn't coping as well as it used to. Yeah. So that's probably the most common thing I will see athletes complain about. But like I said, they they barely complain. And that's such a hard one for. I mean, I think particularly women like we're so used to our cycles kind of dictating mood and stuff. And yeah. I mean, honestly, like we probably get more stressed easy, like I think in general easier than men. So I think we run into a lot of like, yeah, I'm, I've been having trouble getting up for, you know, the past month, but work's been really hard or my kids are this. So I think it's hard for women to necessarily correlate yeah. that with like a problem versus just it's life. That's yeah. how it feels. Yeah. So many things going on in everyone's life. Like it's hard to figure out what's causing what. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, along those lines, female endurance athletes, sign, general signs of overtraining. I guess some of that's what you just said. Yeah. And, and the, probably the big piece that people, well, another big piece that we haven't discussed is just their immune system is worn down and they're getting sick often but they just can't kick it either so they have like a hundred day cough or a sinusitis that lasts like two to four weeks or anyway so that just really knocks them out and they can't get back on their bikes even right we'll see that quite a bit and then there's some nuisance afflictions i call them like things like athlete's foot or um, 
bacterial vaginosis or even just yeast infections or hangnails that aren't healing, like things that are a bit annoying, but they're not really causing huge issues. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I guess for a mountain biker, and I'm going to maybe say this out of my own experience, like when cuts aren't really like the tiny cuts and scrapes just aren't healing the way Mm. that they used to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I pick on pretty early on for sure. When people are overtraining body just doesn't have enough time to deal with the things that it needs to right repair those areas yeah okay and then in that same vein uh some red flags that would be more hormonal imbalance versus just overtraining so i see all the time in my athletes my female athletes that they'll have amenorrhea or they're just not having their cycles right or they're very inconsistent when they do have their cycles and most women will not complain about this they like that for sure <laughs> and it's not enjoyable to ride when you do have your cycle so it's not something people complain about but it's a huge red flag for me because I now know that their hormones either aren't being produced in adequate amounts or there's likely some kind of imbalance that's preventing things from going as they usually should right um, other huge red flags and I'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail but uh, urinary tract infections and vaginal yeast infections like when those start happening with relative frequency then we start to get worried a little bit about hormones not just like personal care but that does play a huge piece in it but yeah we start worrying about whether there's some kind of hormonal imbalance that's perpetuating it yeah now that makes that makes sense um and then what are some of the first steps a woman should take if she's suspecting, hey, my hormones feel sort of off right now? Okay, so the first thing I usually often do when we're trying to figure out where somebody is at and whether we want to consider our testing options is just getting a good history from that person, both family history and their personal health history, and to get them to start tracking their cycle because a lot of women won't track their cycle. So we want to see how many days apart they are, if they know when they're ovulating, how many days between ovulation and their menses there are, uh, what type of symptoms are bothering them, how heavy are the cycles, how bad are the clots, how long, et cetera, et cetera. So we try and get a lot of information that way. But then if the direction we wanna go in um, might involve either manipulating those hormone levels or supplementing in with bioidentical hormones or um, botanicals, we would probably want to get either a urine test or a salivary test. Okay. Most people are familiar with blood testing. That's what a GP would order, but hormones aren't very accurate when they're tested in the bloodstream. Um, They're fat-soluble and they're bound often to carrier molecules, and it's just not... It doesn't give us an overall picture of what's happening um, in in the body, whereas urine and saliva give us a physiological level and an right. exposure to those hormones over time, and so it gives us a lot more information, more useful information. Right. Yeah. Um, now I was thinking about this with blood testing. I know the uh, normal range is so massive. So mm-hmm. I mean, when you do see the ranges, how do you determine what is low and what isn't? Yeah, it's it's hard to know. So like, we're looking for an optimal range, and we can really hone in on that with urine and saliva. Mm-hmm. 
with serum levels, it's so tricky. Unless they're horribly abnormal, we really can't put much behind our treatment decisions when we're looking at that. Testosterone is not too bad, <laughs> sampled in the bloodstream, um, and maybe DHEAS, but the other ones that we're seeing, we, we do really want to see, especially when it's coming to women's health and some of the more intricate pathologies, we want to see how much E1, how much E2, how much E3, and what quantities, how they're metabolizing them. And that we won't get from a blood test, but we will from urine. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So when you look at female endurance athletes, which hormones tend to be the ones that are most out of whack? Oh, I've seen it go a lot of different ways. Right. Um, In general, though, they're often, like for the professional athletes, they're often all low. So we're trying to figure out a way to get the hormones to do what they should. And often it's by controlling um, the adrenals or fortifying the adrenal glands. So that's probably the most common picture I'll see in a female athlete. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of botanicals that I will use that help regulate the pituitary and ovary axis um, and making sure we have enough fat in the diet and all those other things. So that's often what I am seeing. Okay. So now with that, is it ever smart for somebody to just start, because you can look up those botanicals online, yeah. right? Yeah. Is it ever wise for someone to do that on their own? Because I feel like last time I tried to do that personally, yeah. it was not great. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I mean, I think a lot of people end up in my office after they've tried I to could do see that. Themselves. So I... <laughs> I think I have a bit of bias in saying, like, absolutely not. You should get a professional opinion. But um, the other big piece of that puzzle is not just finding the right fit, but finding the right quality, something that's going to do what it's supposed to do. I think a lot of companies have kind of realized that this health train is here to stay and people are engaging in their healthcare and interested in in complementary and alternative products. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes the quality is not there in something you would just pick up off the shelf. Yeah, or the cheap version on Amazon, whatever. (laughs) But then, like, we are making pretty potent um, versions of these botanicals and nutraceuticals, so they can really alter and affect hormone levels big time so you do need to you need to do it somewhat methodically and responsibly not just read that five hormone or five botanicals that can balance your health (laughs) article and just start slamming all of them yeah I would say that probably wouldn't be a great idea but (laughs) by all means I think like we'll probably end up talking about lifestyle and dietary changes yeah that that was my next thing yeah (laughs) Yeah. so talk to me about that yeah that for sure I think like see a professional if you need that but it's not there should be no reason to not get started on that right now um yeah when we're looking at natural ways to restore and and um, balance the hormones we always need the bowels to be functioning perfectly so you need to have good fiber lots of fruits and veggies clean meat organic wherever possible Um, And that just will help give you the proper fuel you need, not only as an athlete, but also for all the other physiological stuff that's happening within your body. And so, yeah, fixing that diet, making sure the bowels are moving. Your liver metabolizes hormones, Mm -hmm. throws them into the gut, and then you're essentially going to 
eliminate them through having a bowel movement. Right. So if you don't have regular bowel movements, if you're not going every day at least, the ideal is at least every day, two, three times a day, you're going to have difficulty eliminating those hormones. You'll reabsorb them, and they're still metabolically active. So right. they can really affect your hormone levels. So people are always wondering when they come in like why do I have to change my diet like I'm here for hormones can't you just address that and unfortunately sorry guys yeah it's a bit more complicated than that so yeah we always have to work on the liver the gut make sure those are both working well yeah and Mm -hmm. I mean lifestyle wise you have these athletes that are yeah if their hormones are imbalanced I'm going to assume there's some level of overtraining that's happened in the past or is happening now yeah. So what do you, but obviously a sedentary lifestyle is not going to go that far in balancing. Yeah. So where do you go activity wise? That's a good question. I mean, really, um, we try and make sure that we can optimize the physiology within, you know, the level of training that's necessary for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very difficult to find that fine balance. But optimizing physiology isn't always too difficult depends on the person but we're making sure you know do they have going through their diet and lifestyle with a fine tooth comb do they have enough fat do they have enough of the right right kind of fat do they have enough protein the right kind of protein etc etc yeah and making sure what they're running off of is good quality as well as any nutrients that they might be burning I mean, exercising, you guys all know this, is a very oxidative process. So you need a ton of antioxidants, way more than the average sedentary. Well, yeah. depends if that sedentary adult is eating chips. But anyways, more than the average person that's less active. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I assume sleep is also heavily in their <laughs> lifestyle-wise. Absolutely, for sure. Like it, You need sleep, especially as an athlete. And your immune system rebuilds itself at nighttime. You secrete growth hormone only at nighttime. So when we're talking about wound healing and all that stuff, that's right. not going to happen if you're not sleeping. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I know a lot of doctors tend to just want to throw hormones at patients. It's sort yeah. of the automatic response of a GP to see like, oh, your hormone levels are down a little. Like, let's yeah. start you supplementing. Have you ever seen cases where it makes sense to just go straight to that? I mean, I know in some extreme mm-hmm. circumstances we, you know, yeah. argue for a little, but. Well, if we step outside of the world of athletes, yes, I've definitely seen it. Um, I've had women that have had horrible, horrible, heavy, heavy menses, and they're basically bleeding to death, and then a couple months of birth control pill might get us, with a procedure often, yeah. will get us onto a playing field where we don't have all this bleeding and endometrial t- tissue, and they're not fainting at work. And all. Anyway, so that's... Always of <laughs> somewhat of an extreme condition but I think you know drugs have their use um here and there and especially in acute care they they're really great sure I would consider that a pretty acute case but as a long-term strategy I don't think it's the right fit often for a lot of people there's tons of side effects we all talk about and there's tons of nutrient depletions too that come along with drugs like b6 is one of the big ones for birth control pill but right um, but I think it does end up being prescribed often because it's very easy for people to use. It's very easy to prescribe. It almost always does the trick in terms of regulating 
a happy cycle. Right. And GPs don't really know about other options, to be honest. So they uh, they learn that's what they learn, and they're really good at using those tools. Um, but there are lots of other options out there too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so on the topic of birth control, though, so birth control, you know, it messes with your hormones. It, I mean, it quote unquote yeah. regulates your cycle, but like that's not necessarily a great thing. However, like, what are what can a woman do to make sure she doesn't get pregnant then? <laughs> well, and even with the birth control pill, like I'm always telling my patients, it's best to have two methods, right? I keep saying it or a hazmat suit yeah. if I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Might take some of the fun out of it. But <laughs> well, for some people, maybe yeah, not for others. Yeah, that's really... <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's hard. But yeah, I mean, I, I see the extreme cases. So I have seen a ton of women get pregnant on the birth control pill. Um, so it's always good to use two methods, I would say. And I mean, I'm a big fan of the fertility method, which is kind of a kind of like the calendar method, but you're also monitoring your cervical positioning and your cervical oh, okay. and that sort of thing. So it just gives you more information. So it's like but, calendar plus kind of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, just because it gives us so much information about your hormonal picture and your health and all of the intricacies of that, I like when patients do that regardless of whether it's for contraception or not, sure. just to kind of be in tune with their body. Um, but to make sure you don't get pregnant, I mean, yeah, if you're a healthy female, that's always going to be a bit of a risk. Yeah. So it's good to educate yourself on what uh, different methods yeah. are within comfort. Yeah. So I know this may not be like your favorite question, but I mean, where where do you see like, I guess like IUD versus pills versus ring, if you had to pick yeah. one that would be like the least offensive to the, <laughs> the female body? Well, probably condoms, but I mean in the pharmaceutical world. I often will sit with patients and go through their health history before I answer that question. Sure. So like if there's a family history of depression, I usually stay away from the IUD because Marina is a progesterone-based um, hormone and I find people that have the tendency to be depressed or be down will okay. often um, manifest that more strongly once they're huh. exposed to progesterone. So. We do take into consideration certain things oh, okay. like that when people do, and figuring out, you know, why why do you want to, you know, why do you want, how are you going to use it, all those mm -hmm. things to try and find the right fit. There's new technology coming out now in Europe, and it's being approved in Canada. It's out available in BC, but not yet in Ontario, where it is an IUD, but it's a ring, uh, like a beaded ring without hormone doesn't have the oh, okay. inflammatory disease. So there's other options coming up. Yeah. So we do talk about some of those options, whether people want to travel to get them and those sorts of things, yeah. That's interesting. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I know, I'll, I'll say, uh, my, my friend had a lot of trouble with the, the copper IUD because that was a whole host of issues. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of other methods that also have... Yeah. So it was like, oh, good, no hormones. But unfortunately, that one <laughs> did not really function very well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's hard to say, too, because a lot of these products haven't had the the stamp of time. For right? sure, yeah. Like, yeah. all of this is so new. And, I mean, if you look at birth control, what, like, the birth control pills 20 years ago, say, mm -hmm. compared to what we know now. Yeah. 
Holy moly. Yeah, women were totally overdosed. Totally overdosed. And so there's a lot of question marks around the safety of it and whether now we're seeing these booms in chronic illnesses like breast cancer. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Yeah, question mark. Hmm. Um, So then leaving, leaving the lady parts for a second, do you ever deal with hormone issues in men? Not as often, for sure, but I have seen it, and it often does come along the lines of poor performance, poor wound healing, fatigue, just mm-hmm. not feeling on top of their game, yeah. and the immune system component, too. I'm sick all the time, I just can't shake it, so those two pieces are similar to what we discussed about by females, but yeah. that's usually where it ends, um, but oftentimes we'll, we'll test, and we might find testosterone is a bit low, and then right. we'll figure out what's going on there yeah now for men do you typically just suggest kind of going back to that lifestyle and diet kind of thing before like i don't think anyone really loves the idea of supplementing with testosterone and for obviously most racers that's not (laughs) legal yeah you might get in a bit of trouble if you're a professional athlete you're doing that um heck even amateurs at this point if they get tested for it they're out yeah Yeah, so it's definitely something we want to stay away from, but we would uh, try and make sure everything you need to make testosterone naturally is there. So are you consuming enough selenium? Do you have enough zinc, et cetera, et cetera. So we look at all the cofactors that you need to make that stuff. Some herbs really work nicely to help Mm -hmm. support the production, but we we do need to be cautious. I mean, cofactors are probably safe and fine, but when you're looking at herbals, you will increase levels. You yeah. just need to be monitored. So it's also not something you should do. Just go out on your own. And do something. <laughs> yeah. And I think I really do feel like that's where athletes get in the most trouble because we honestly do just feel kind of crappy. We Google it. We take a couple supplements. Yeah. And we probably do ourselves a whole lot more harm than good trying to play detective. Yeah. Well, and it, and it's hard, right? Because as an athlete, you train and you, and you you know that like you're capable of so much, right? <laughs> so. And it's annoying too. You're like, man, like I'm doing things right. How is this not working? <laughs> yeah, I know. I did what they said to do on that blog. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> For sure. Um, and then actually, um, now that I'm thinking about it, female athletes who aren't looking at birth control and are thinking about getting pregnant. Yeah. Any advice for them hormone-wise? Hormone-wise. That would, well, I'm going to sound like broken record, tracking your cycle, mm-hmm. making sure you have a somewhat regular cycle. If you have been on the birth control or the IUD that has birth control in it, it would be a great idea to wait a couple cycles until your hormones have really come back to themselves, so okay. to speak, because when you are on birth control pill, it's an artificial cycle. You're not actually ovulating. So in order for your body to kind of get used to that cyclical process, it's good to give it a couple cycles. And oh, okay. for each person, I it's a little bit different um, in terms of how many cycles I would recommend, but I would say a minimum of four cycles would be good in order to get clean out the pipes or so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> however you want to put it maybe that's not a good best phrasing but but yeah we do see i mean the rates of miscarriage have really gone up i would certainly put a haphazard 
correlation to that here in my practice. I see that all the time. Women that have spent more years on birth control pills struggle more with miscarriages. And especially when it's an, an early on, um, like they've come off the pill and then they've conceived the next cycle. Yeah. So we like to see some kind of regulation. First. I guess that makes sense, right? Because if if you've been on the pill since you were, say, 16 years old and you're going to try to have a kid 16 years later, for half of your life, your body yeah. has figured out... Yeah, this is this is what happens. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, and all your receptors for those different hormones have you know adapted to an exogenous or an external th- source of hormones. Yeah. So you have to readapt first to making your own hormones and detoxifying them and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense because realistically, you've only had like what three or four years without birth control in your yeah. whole life. Yeah. That's crazy. I never thought about that until I just said it. Now I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't be terrified. But the the human body is fantastic at really um, adjusting. Yeah. And uh, that homeostasis piece. But you do have to give it a bit of time. Yeah. Whereas I think an OBGYN would be like, oh, no, you can try next month. Yeah. Just take, we'll just pull this idea out and you're good to go. (laughs) Yeah. Go for it. Make babies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right so last last question in the hormone panel here okay. if you had to sum up in just a couple sentences and I, I realize you're probably going to say you're going to sound like a broken record but that's a good thing <laughs> the best way an athlete can stay in balance with overall health while still working towards that athletic goal yeah what are those couple things um so like big world picture is to be in tune with your body and your own health so don't discredit your knowledge of your own body athletes especially know their bodies very very well and they know how to listen to it so just just don't turn a blind eye to those little warning signs that are going off and uh, just because something is common it might be common amongst women or common amongst your circle of friends doesn't mean it's normal so <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I have to go through that all the time when we're talking about results and that sort of thing. But um, th- we can optimize your hormones and we can have them functioning in a way that they really physiologically should. Um, although it's common to have painful, painful menstrual syndrome, it's not. Uh, it's not normal. Yeah. So, we we like to make a distinction. So yeah, be proactive and be aware of when not to push yourself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you depend a lot on your body, and I talked about this before, but you got to give yourself high-performance fuel if you're expecting high-performance out of yourself. So choose your food well. Choose lots of fruits and veggies, a little bit of organic, grass-fed meat on the side. Um, yeah, and av- avoid anything that that's really going to knock you off your feet or tax your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As always, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We hope you learned a lot from Leah this week. I know it's forced me to really sit back and kind of take stock of my hormone health and where I'm at, and there's definitely always work to be done. Uh, Anyway, for all of the show notes and links from this episode, you can check out consummateathlete.com. And of course, we'd love to hear what you think of the episode by tweeting at us at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford, or leave us a review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. Thanks so much, and we will see you next time. Have a great week.